your trusted source for news and analysis about Chicago White Sox prospects and player development, covering the Major League Baseball draft and international market, plus the action in Kannapolis, Winston-Salem, Birmingham, and Charlotte. This is the Future Sox Podcast with your hosts, Mike Rankin and James Fox. Welcome to another episode of the Future Sox Podcast. My name is Mike Rankin, James Fox alongside us. James, last two episodes, not bad. Connor McKnight, Guy Jim Callis, you heard of him? Pretty good. Yeah. I, tell you, I wish we had the Jim Callis, like, off-air stuff, man. Like, <laughs> my my goodness. Like, he gave us so much time. He was awesome. You know, he always is. Well, I, you know, I always have to, like, he always says that he'll come on whenever, right? But I don't want to, like bug him too often and I always want him post draft right to go over like all the picks so I kind of think like when the top 30 drops and then and then post draft are the two best times but yeah Jim Callis is awesome he gave us some really fascinating information on Ryan Burroughs he talked about Jordan Sprinkle a little bit those are some young names to keep in mind because you know shortstops valuable we don't really know much about them on paper considering They don't have a lot of playing time experience at the professional level. Jordan Sprinkle just got through uh, his first professional season. This is, I'm I'm talking in the immediate sense, James, like I keep bringing this up. I can't wait to follow the minor league White Sox this year because I feel like finally it's time for them to take the next step in their development and just we're obtaining a vision. Back in 2019, Mike Shirley takes over. We kind of get an idea of what he wants to do following 2020's draft. 2021, it comes together even more, considering his willingness to take young players, early rounds, committing to prep. We see Noah Schultz get selected, Colson Montgomery selected, but also it's it's the combination of players like Brian Ramos and Jose Rodriguez making the 40-man roster, and also Guys like Wilfred Vera's developing, Luis Mieses playing in big league spring training yet again. These pitchers like Matthew Thompson set to maybe pitch at the big league level this year, although that may be ambitious. And then you separate it from all of the young players that are still developing. And early on in Mike Shirley's tenure as scouting director, there is development left to be had, yet there are also a segment of players that are set to take that leap. And I'm not talking step, leap, because of the amount of experience they have. Jared Kelly is another example. That's just where my head's at. And as I watch this spring training, and that, that is just a random thought that I had that I wanted to bring to the air. Because as we discuss a plethora of topics on this episode, I want to begin with spring because we're looking at Oscar Colas, we're looking at Brian Ramos, we're watching Jose Rodriguez, and a handful of other names that we may not have been keeping a close eye on in the past, because this is the next step in the White Sox path to maintaining relevance. I think that's what the goal is. The White Sox want to do it in a way where they win on their terms. That's building a farm system through drafting, developing international marketplace, budgeting their resources in free agency to to sign big time names when it's appropriate at their price range. It's all kind of difficult. You know, it's like, it's not easy for the White Sox 
to win on their terms, considering their terms is like, you know, James, it's like, how can any organization win with the restrictions that the front office is placed upon them? So as I finish up this mini ramble, I want to get into what we've been kind of discussing leading up to the the start of the regular season. Spring training's been underway. We have a bit of a sample size for some of these names that we're keeping close eyes on. And obviously, the names that I mentioned previously, like Ramos and Rodriguez, aren't going to make the opening day roster. But a player that may is Oscar Colas. And maybe let's let's just start there, James, because obviously you've been a big fan of Oscar Colas since he signed. We've been monitoring his development. He's had a weird cycle in the White Sox system, considering there was a delay after he signed before he got stateside. He had his first full professional season last year. Now there's expectations that he could be the opening day right fielder. And he's taking advantage of opportunities this spring. I know there's not, there shouldn't, uh, and I'm with you, there shouldn't be a lot of stock placed on spring training numbers. But Colas is proving that he can hit and handle himself at the big league level. Yeah, I mean, I feel like at a minimum, he he's going to, like play right field against right-handed pitching, right? And he hasn't had issues against lefties, but you know, it is just one kind of one kind of thing. Like if you want him up and facing righties, like I think it makes sense. I think he's looked fine defensively, you know, I think they've worked on some stuff like with him getting reads in the outfield and making throws and things along those lines and we kind of talked a lot about just spring training stats not being the reason why you make the big league club, right? But like this guy's one of their best nine for sure. You know, he he should be in right field. I expect him to be in right field. And one like tertiary thing that Jim Callis brought up to us that I've said from the beginning, like with the new rules, you know, like he, he's not like the favorite to win AL Rookie of the Year. Like I, I got I got him in at a tw- 25 to 1, which was nice. But I mean, like there's a chance, right? So if you start him in the big leagues and he's good for you all year and he wins the rookie of the year, not only does he help your team, he brings you back a first round pick next year. So like any nefarious games that you might've considered playing to like game service time rules, just like don't really make any sense when this is like a team that seems determined to, you know, kind of be better than they were last year and announce their arrival. Like you might as well just like have this kid break with you. And it seems, it seems like they're going to, we had a lot of questions just on, you know, some of like, he, he's very aggressive, right? And his his uh, his chase rate was not great, but he got away with it in the minors because he faced so many bad pitchers. So that's probably the stuff to continue watching. Does he follow game plans and do what he's supposed to be doing? That stuff that we're not really going to know, right? But I think those are the important things. And I think you'll have him hitting eighth or ninth in the lineup. So yeah, all uh, it's better. It's better than the alternative, right? It's better than him hitting 150 in the spring. 985 OPS, and we're approaching March 14th, March 15th here, and the opening. You know, the season's two weeks away, and Oscar Colas is showcasing the strengths of his approach at the plate and what he brings with the bat, obviously in power. 11 for 27, as I look at his numbers right now, and take that as you will. It's just a matter of him handling himself at this stage of his career. There's a lot thrown his way and something I, I I'm glad you brought the rookie of the year stipulation up considering you get a cop pick. Why wouldn't you try to pursue that? I mean, if you're taking that into consideration, it just benefits the White Sox. If you already believe that he's good to go. The thing that Pedro Grifol said last week, I thought was a little interesting. I don't know how telling it is, 
But he mentioned that he wants Oscar Colas to do the fundamentals. He wants to make sure that, yes, uh, he iterated, the bat is there. He can handle himself at the plate. Is everything else in his game? Is he well-rounded? Is he able to make a catch moving towards the base he's intending to throw to? Is he hitting the cutoff man? Is he taking the extra base on the base pads? Is he not catching fly balls flat-footed? You know, those are some of the things that Graffol said were, you know, they, they had to drive that point home to Colas and his development. And to me, I don't think that needs to be done at AAA, James. You got to keep him around major league coaching staffs and allow him to work through some of the things that you may think are a concern at the big league level because he's just too skilled to let that go to waste. Yeah, and I think like we've said that, and it seems like that's going to be there. I mean, because look, man, like what's the alternative? Like you send him to Charlotte and he rakes, and like you're playing Gavin Sheets in right field again. And like, look, I think he's done like an admirable job. And I think Gavin Sheets is a big leaguer, right? I think he can hit right handed pitching. But like Rick Hahn came out and said that one of the reasons why they let Jose Abreu go was so that they wouldn't be playing players out of position constantly. I still think Gavin Sheets playing the outfield is playing players out of out of position. And something we brought up with Connor, you know, McKnight a couple of weeks ago was just the fact that like Rick Hahn mentioned Oscar Colas in November. And they don't usually do that unless the guy's gonna be given an opportunity. So I do think like it's I, I guess I'm a little surprised that they've like felt highly enough to like run him straight to the big leagues. Right. Just because they did kind of slow play him last year. Like he was in Winston for a while. And I think we found mm-hmm. out that he was, he was hurt. Um, and then as soon as he went to Birmingham and I always say this, right, he went to Birmingham and he was awesome. So then it's like, okay, well he's close to the big leagues. So if he starts in Chicago this year, I think it's seven big league games in Charlotte. So, you know, and I would expect him to go there and do similar again. So I think this makes all, all the sense in the world for, him to be the right fielder for the White Sox this year. How about a bench of Gavin Sheets, Leary Garcia, and Jake Berger? Does that make sense? Uh, no, because you need a catcher in there. Oh, that's right. So Sebi. So that's so that's what I said that I would go with, and I would just like sacrifice defense, like, and have Berger and Sheets on the team. I think it's going to be interesting, like what they do with those guys, because it really shows. Like, I think Berger can hit lefties, right? And I think that. I actually think Berger is more useful on the roster than Sheets is. And I know people are saying like, oh, but Sheets is left-handed bat. But like, think about it. Like, when when would Gavin Sheets play ideally, right? Like, are you going to play him instead of Colas, Vaughn, or Jimenez? You're not, He's right? probably your DH, I would assume. When, though? Then- Vaughn at first, Grandall's catching, Aloy... Well, Ben and Tendi's in left. No, and Lloyd's at DH and Colas is in right. So, right. I so, mean, it's... so against righties, you really don't have a spot for Sheets. But I could argue that mm-hmm. against lefties, you do have a spot for Berger. Because while I don't think Colas is like a huge issue against lefties, you could sit him, play Aloy in right, and DH Berger against lefties. So, yeah, I think it's – I'm, I'm with you because you think about that. I think with the way the White Sox want to maneuver around this 26-man – now, this is if – Gavin Sheets is on the roster, and I think he should be on the roster. And I, I hear what you're saying. I don't think Gavin Sheets is a regular, and I don't know how often they want Aloy Jimenez playing in the outfield. And I wonder how often they want to play Oscar Colas to begin the year. Maybe they want to slow play him. I don't know how much of an everyday player he would be right out of the gate. That's the thing. 
baseball kind of takes care of itself. Over a 162-game season, it's easy to say that Gavin Sheets belongs on the roster. However, on the day-to-day, it's tough to find room for him to get at-bats, and it just seems like he's a bench bat at this point. Yeah, it does seem like that, and and it's hard to... Like, I know, like, there's a lot of questions with this bench, right? Like, I think it's, like, Romy could go to Charlotte and play all over. I think that's kind of what the plan is. But, like, we've said on this podcast, like, Romy, I think, in the Larry Garcia role is, like, his ultimate role anyway. But that just comes down to ownership and their willing, and, you know, I guess Jerry Reinsdorf's willingness to let the front office DFA Larry Garcia, which doesn't seem super likely at this point, but, I mean... You know, it's just like that that contract is something that we've talked about and they've talked about on the Sox Machine podcast a ton. Like you got a guy like Hanser Hanser Alberto, like for mm-hmm. nothing, right? And like Hanser Alberto is is fine. Like so like he could do the Larry Garcia thing. You kind of talked about this, you know, in your opening monologue, like how do the White Sox move forward, right? And I think a lot of people assume, oh, like another rebuild's coming, which like I don't agree with. Like I think you'll have to tinker, right? But I think like you can spend on guys like Andrew Benintendi regularly, right? If you can develop your own bullpen and your own utility guys and like you have cheap players. Um, so I, I think that's just like part of getting smarter going forward. But yeah, like the the bench is interesting because if Leary's there, Zavala's definitely there too. That only leaves you with two spots. And if you assume Sheets has one of them, you know, I mean, Berger's battling with the final outfielder if you keep a guy right whether it's Romy or Marisnik or Billy Hamilton I just yeah I'm just I'm just not a big fan of the Billy Hamilton idea without like mm-hmm. a without like a 28 man roster if you give me 28 guys sure he can just like sit in there and then like come in and run and play defense but I just like don't think you can have somebody with no bat at all on the bench at this point really good discussion about projecting the opening day roster and we're in the middle of spring training. Half the roster around Major League Baseball is playing in the World Baseball Classic. Um, do you care about that at all, James? Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't. Um, you know, like I see like tanks from Yohan Moncada like on Twitter. Like I'm a fan of that, right? Like right. send me more of that. Like I actually don't mind that those two guys are playing in it just because like I, I feel like they'll come back then and then they'll be ready to go. I know there was like a lot of injury concerns. Like, you know, it's fine. I just like, no, I don't really care about the results. Like I, I don't care about like exhibition sports. So look, and you could say like, you know, I've been critical of like spring training broadcasts not being aired. So like, I guess you could question me on that, but that's more so. Cause like, I just like want to watch the prospects in these games, right? Like none of them mean any, it's like preseason football too. I just like, if it doesn't count, like I don't really care. And you could say like, it does count cause it's, like for their country. But I mean, like this country's tournament starts March 30th when the season starts. Like, I I feel like that's what most people care about. Um, And you look at like the British team. Have you watched any, like the British team has guys playing that haven't played baseball in like 10 years. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, I the check. Yeah. So I mean, like, I guess it's kind of cool, but I just, yeah, it's, I got too much other stuff going on. (laughs) Well, I just asked because, and it's not half major league baseball, but there's a large portion of players involved in the world baseball classic and you're just rooting for them to be healthy. But the point is, you're allowed now to see some of these younger players who may not be getting as many at-bats at the big league spring training level um, otherwise. And Brian Ramos is one of those guys. And I want to talk about Andrew Vaughn as well. 
Uh, we'll get to that in a little bit. But Brian Ramos is taking advantage of the playing time, James. And it seems like he can very well handle third base defensively, just based on what we've seen throughout this spring and at the tail end of last season in the minor leagues. Brian Ramos continues to skyrocket in value like around evaluators. Like the evaluators that we speak to, Brian Ramos is always a topic of conversation. If he's not on a top 100 list, he's on the fringe. So this is a player that I think the White Sox have a lot of stock put into. And oftentimes when we talk about Brian Ramos, Jose Rodriguez is sort of in our peripheral. Jose Rodriguez in his second big league spring, kind of struggling a little bit. But Brian Ramos is separating himself as a guy who definitely deserves the attention and appears, James, it appears that he's ready to play in Charlotte. Well, it's going to be interesting because he's on the 40. So he's one of these guys. Where, remember when the White Sox had like a bunch of these guys on the 40 man who like you had to do it to like protect them, but they were in like Winston, right? So they're just like wasted spots on a 40 man. He's the only one that's not like super close to the big leagues, I guess, because I think he's going to Birmingham because he was in Winston last year. But I mean, like he does look the part. Like you've seen mm-hmm. him like over the last week and – he hit that big homer, and like I think he's actually looked pretty smooth at third, and he's got a really good arm there. So remember, there were like all sorts of questions about Brian Ramos if like he was going to end up at first or like left field, but then this year, like he's on top one hundred lists, like at third. So yeah, I mean it's a huge year for him because we always talk about going to Birmingham, and that's where he's going to be, right? And if he goes there and does what he's done at Winston and the other places, like yeah, he is. He is a top 100 prospect that looks like he should be in the big leagues, like, you know, soon within the next like 12 to 18 months. And like having too many good players is, uh, is a good thing. So, yeah, I, I think he's in Birmingham. And then the other guys, like, I think Charlotte's interesting because mm-hmm. there's just like a bunch of guys there. And you're going to have to like find playing time for all of them, like Jose Rodriguez and Lenin Sosa. And it seems like Romy will be there too. And Yolbert's around. And, you know, if a guy like Hanser Alberto like doesn't make the team, does he stick around and go to Charlotte? So I just, yeah, like some of over the next month for us, like doing minor league previews and looking at some of these affiliates, I do think it's going to be interesting what some of these rosters look like. At Birmingham, we expect Colson Montgomery at short, Brian Ramos at third. That's a pretty good left side of the infield and maybe even the future left side of the infield at 35th and Shields. So that's fun. Brian Ramos has three strikeouts and 19 at-bats. I, I just In 21 plate appearances, he's shown that uh, he can handle it. And it, the skill set is bat-to-ball. He's got pop. He's leaned out his frame. He's a lot stronger than I had anticipated whenever I watch him. And he can move, man. He He can move at third. And like you said, he's got a strong arm. So you want to continue to monitor that development. I just feel like Ramos can move quickly and maybe we'll see him at Charlotte. But you talk about Charlotte. I mean, Romy Gonzalez, Lenny and Sosa, even Jose Rodriguez, maybe Jose Rodriguez is the second baseman in Birmingham. There's a lot that we get to look forward to at future socks and at socksmachine.com. There's no I in team, but there is one in indeed. And that's the hiring platform that you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need indeed. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed's a powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because Indeed does the hard work for you. 
They show you the candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash sports. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash sports. That's Indeed.com slash sports. And support the show by saying that you heard it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Something that caught my attention in February was Andrew Vaughn's batting stance. It's changed. His hands are higher. He's standing more upright. We're starting to see, in my opinion, why the White Sox wanted to do that. Obviously, he had struggles with sliders low and away from right-handed pitching, but something that really plagued him late in the year was the aggression he had in the zone with fastballs up. When you move your hands up, you're coming down toward the ball and it's more like the barrel is on a on a flatter plane versus when your hands are down and you're swinging up to chase a fastball that you can't catch up to. Like it seems to me that Jim Tomey got in the year of Andrew Vaughn and said, "Hey, work on this and let's see the fruits of this adjustment because Andrew Vaughn is he's one of my favorite players to to watch because I feel like he's just got such a feel for the strike zone, command at the plate as a hitter where it, it reminds me of what the Houston Astros entire lineup has done. Force the pitchers to get to them. Now, Vaughn has to clean up his strikeout rate, of course, but it seems to me that he's got such a good understanding of the strike zone that he could ultimately become one of their better hitters over the next decade. I'm such a fanboy. It comes off on this podcast more and more. But when I see somebody that has the qualities that could be a great hitter, I can't help it. I get super excited. And I'm starting to feel that way about Colson Montgomery as well. And it has so much to do with plate approach and acknowledging how pitchers are attacking you and understanding the pitches that you're able to handle. And Andrew Vaughn, with this change in his stance, and I don't know how his approach will change. The comfortability playing at the same position every day, not having to worry about the the randomness that was 2020, the incongruent 2021. You know, you're experiencing a full professional major league season for the first time. Just to go on a little Andrew Vaughn rant, remember when he was drafted, he played over 100 games in his draft season. That included at Cal and, of course, in the minors. He ultimately ended up at Winston-Salem. He was invited to the alternate site in Schaumburg. That 2020 season was so bizarre. You don't have a, a typical offseason and spring training uh, and a regular season, obviously, to prepare. Vaughn was ready to go when I saw him in spring 20 before the shutdown. And that's saying something. Now, I believe he would have started at Charlotte, but that's how advanced he was as a hitter when I saw him in 2020. And then we see him in 21 and in 22. There are holes in his game at the plate. But I think when you hear Vaughn speak about the inconsistency of an offseason and the questions that you have going into not necessarily experiencing a full 162 game grind, as well as the fact that you got to learn to play the outfield. And, you know, hey, let's be critical about the White Sox strength and development team uh, and their medical staff, because not only did Andrew Vaughn's legs hurt. 
but the entire team's legs were hurting. And you could tell that the manager and the team itself, it's just a reflection of everybody else. They were okay with allowing these players to go half for 75%. I know that's not going to fly this year, but you think about all of these circumstances that a player like Vaughn was dealing with so early in his career. Now that he's come into his own after, with all of that experience under his belt, I, again, am showing how much of a fan of Andrew Vaughn I am. But this is a player that I can't help but say is going to take off in 2023. Yeah, so let's talk about that lineup here in a second. But yeah, like your, your Vaughn... How, do you think we see Vaughn in the outfield this year? I'm hoping no. Like, I don't even know where to, like, put the over-under. But I mean, that should be your first baseman every day. I've been a big fan, too. And I feel like... You know, he's really good at like taking pitches the other way. He struggled with sliders. The one thing that I want to see is I want to see him like pull the ball. Like I want to see him pull his homers, you know, and I feel like it's something that like the White Sox haven't done enough of. But yeah, I mean, he should be like a middle order, middle of the order run producer for them. You know, I said he would be for like the next decade. So that should start this year. I feel like there were periods like last year where he'd go on two week stretches where you know, you would see it and then he would be hurt or like his legs would be hurt from playing the outfield or like whatever. So that stuff, like, I just have to trust that they could like get that in order. But I mean, this is a guy who was a top 10 prospect in baseball as a first base, as a right, right first baseman, right? Which is very tough to do. So this year, I think has to be the breakout for Andrew Vaughn that I think a lot of us were hoping for. And I'm, I'm kind of expecting it. But, you know, we'll we'll see how he does, essentially. I don't care about, like, the day-to-day lineup that much, but I do think Pedro Grafol has, he's, he's kind of given us his playbook so far. Have you noticed what they've done with Andrew Benintendi? Second? No, he's had him hitting third. So it seems like they're going to go Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, Andrew Benintendi. And, uh, like, okay. Like, I don't really know, like, the reasoning for, for that. I don't know if it's they, you know, Anderson's in at one, obviously. And, you know, like Luis Roberts, like a 305 lifetime hitter in the two hole. So is that just like they want him to see as many fastballs as possible? But then you would think that they'd break up the lefties. So, you know, after that, like I think they've been using Aloy Jimenez cleanup with Moncada five when he's been around and then Vaughn and Grandall. Like, so I feel like you could mix that four, five, six and kind of like, or even like four, five, six, seven with, and those are the names. Right. And then I guess you just assume that Oscar Colas is eight and Andrews is nine. And you know, that's, that's not bad. I just like, I think the pen attendee thing's interesting. I don't, I don't really, you know, I don't really think it's like negative or positive. I just, you know, they've, they've consistently hit him third, which I wasn't really expecting. Yeah. I think, uh, what is that to mitigate strikeout rate? There's, you know, volatility in Luis Roberts' approach at this point. Tim Anderson's been consistent in putting the ball in play, obviously winning batting titles. And behind him, you're thinking about what could be a Vaughn and Aloy. Grandal's there. Colas lower in the lineup. I just wonder, what is your version of a three-hitter? What does that look like in your mind these days? Um, and then you apply it to what it is in the White Sox lineup, and I guess Griffal, I can understand what he's looking at because, you know, typically, like traditionally, you believe that your three hitters, your best hitter in the lineup. But 
to me, it just seems like you want a guy who doesn't make as many outs as the rest. And it seems Andrew Benintendi comparatively with his on-base percentage and the fact that he puts the ball in play, doesn't strike out very much. That's that's the goal. You want somebody to extend innings uh, at the beginning of ball games, and then also you know to, to have a chance to put the ball in play when there's runners on ahead of them. So yeah, I mean, I could buy in. Sure. I think you don't want to, I hope they don't do it against lefties though. Mm-hmm. Like I would hit him like seven against lefties. Like if you want to move Moncada down too, like against like I just think like against lefties, Anderson, Robert, Aloy, Vaughn, like those guys should be up there. And then if Berger's in the lineup, like he should be up there too somehow, you know. Um, yeah. and Grindall like has has traditionally smoked lefties, so yeah, I think you know you could play around with it. I just hope, yeah, like so Benintendi, he should play every day. But he, I would not have him hitting second or third if there's like a lefty on the mound. And as we've seen, the White Sox have had success against left-handed pitching. A lot of that was Jose Abreu, but they have a lot of guys that do well against lefties. So that should probably continue, I would think. Are you concerned at all about Luis Robert? Because it sure does seem like the approach is the exact same. Very aggressive early in the count, chasing bad pitches, can't lay off sweeping sliders. You know what it looks like when he is on. And if you you know, believe in him, what's been right for him is the aggressive approach. So I wonder if the White Sox want to change that uh, at all. Yeah. So I guess like worried is the wrong, to me, it's all about health because hitting is hard, right? Like he's, he's never going to lay off those sliders, but there's pitches that he hits that other guy. Like, I think he's a 290 lifetime hitter, even with like doing some of that stuff. Right. So like, I feel like if he plays 145 games, he's going to have stretches where he's like swinging at ugly sliders and we're unhappy, but he's going to be a five win player because he's going to hit 25 homers and play great defense in center and be Luis Robert. Right. So it's just always like kind of worked for him despite some of like the ugliness, right? Like sometimes Luis Robert will go up there and he he swings at three sliders and goes and sits down. Right. (laughs) But then he hits like, massive homers against guys that you wouldn't expect like in games too. So I, I think it all kind of like evens out, um, but he's frust- he's he's frustrating for sure. Yeah. I mean, when you up and change somebody's approach, it can absolutely destroy you uh, at the plate mentally because you're overthinking and you're just out of your element. So Luis Robert hopefully can develop a little bit more discipline, but I'm not going to count on it considering that's been his thing ever since he was draft or signed and brought over stateside because he has always been out of the zone swinging the chase rate's been off the charts so that's a storyline that i'd like to see develop and see what the white Sox want to do with him last thing on this podcast that i'd like to get to uh is the rotation and an update on michael kopech there wasn't much of one although pedro grafol said that he's on pace to him now the question was you know, the timeline figured to be a little bit after spring training uh, for Kopech to pitch at the big league level. Curious, James, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about the starting rotation here and, you know, Michael Kopech's coming off two knee injuries last year. What's the plan here? Well, so uh, is there any concern? No. So he will have pitched by the time people listen. So, you know, we're recording Sunday, Michael Kopech's pitching today. All indications are that he's going to be ready. You know, I, I understand the concern for sure. And I always get messages about, Oh, why do the white Sox coddle this guy? And like, it's always something, you know, so we'll see how he looks today. Like I'm, I'm expecting 
you know, a big year for Michael Kopech if healthy. I also think he probably starts opening day at home, right? Like I, I think he gets the home opener because I don't think the White Sox are going to have Mike Clevenger start the home opener. Like even if Clevenger is like your five starter, you start with four games in Houston. I think you let Clevenger have one of those games and you slow play Kopech to start the opener. But yeah, so he, he will have pitched like the White Sox pitching staff like seems kind of locked in, like regardless of how good you think it is, right? Like Giolito looks a little bit better. Lance Lynn looks awesome. Dylan Cease looks terrible. And I don't think anybody, (laughs) and I don't think anybody should care. Right. But like even Clevenger, you know, I know like people aren't really talking about like the baseball side with Mike Clevenger, but he was hitting 95, like in his, in his start, I think Friday, which is like pretty good for him. And he's like herky jerky and weird with like, seven pitches right but 95 like gets on you quickly with him like pitching the way that he's pitching and like one of the things that we haven't really talked about a ton is just like this pitching staff and with the the 13 pitcher rule like this pitching staff's kind of set I think like depending on whether or not like Aaron Bummer's ready to start the year they just you know we talked about adding some of these relievers on the 40 man but like they don't really have anybody to send down to start the year. Like this pitching staff's kind of set, it seems. Well, you talk about the value of relievers, and that's a great point about Kopech. You mentioned in a previous episode the value in adding relievers like AJ Alexi, like Franklin German, like acquiring those types, Nick Avila in the Rule Five draft. Like that's typically in developing arms, typically is a successful way to have a, a good bullpen, right? Like a a bullpen that they can maneuver and. Franklin German so far has been outstanding. Nick Avila, I, I can imagine, is going to make the opening day roster. I, I doubt they want to just waste the Rule 5, and especially considering it's a bullpen arm who can pitch at the big league level right away. The, the bullpen construction is a lot more solidified than I maybe I had initially anticipated considering you know the struggles that Deekman and Joe Kelly had last season uh the question marks surrounding Aaron Bummer Liam Hendricks obviously not available uh Reynaldo Lopez I don't even think is ticketed to be your everyday closer like th- there are so many other arms I-, I think it's just a matter of the way Pedro Grifol wants to manage a ball game because there are several names that could get it done late and it just seems like overall the bullpen is is pretty solid yeah, it seems like it. And like Jose Ruiz is uh, pumping gas for Team Venezuela, I think I saw the other day. Like, I just, you know, I didn't watch the World Baseball Classic, of course, <laughs> but I saw it on Twitter. So, but yeah, like you have Jimmy Lambert at the back of your bullpen. And I, like, look, Ronaldo Lopez would be the guy that I would give the save chances to early in the year, but they have some options. But yeah, like Kendall Graveman, Joe Kelly, actually, like, you know, if you looked at Joe Kelly's like peripherals from last year, his stuff was actually really good and he closed the year good. So I think like having optimism about Joe Kelly, I think is warranted, but yeah, like there's just not many spots and you would think that Nick Avila gets the last one as the rule five pick. He's like a five pitch reliever. I know that Jim Callis had some, some good things to say about him. So like, while I think that Santos and German are both interesting and both likely pitch in the big leagues at some point, they're probably like the back end guys in Charlotte, right? Good luck to you, gentlemen. Like, you know, as the back end guys in Charlotte. But yeah, it seems like that's like some of your immediate pitching depth. And then, you know, everybody's, we're waiting on Garrett Crochet, right? Garrett Crochet, we should see like by mid May, I would imagine. It's maybe even sooner than that. It sounds like he might go right to Charlotte. So that'll be, uh, 
you know, like just an interesting uh, shot in the arm whenever, whenever that happens. And then, you know, we're all on standby with Liam, I think hoping and, Obviously, you know, his health is most important, but it, it, you know, it seems like people are optimistic about a potential return for him at some point. So yeah, I think the bullpen, I'm positive or I have good thoughts on the bullpen and part of it's just, I don't know what Ethan Katz was allowed to do with that bullpen the last couple of years. And it's like, I feel like we always go back to Tony La Russa, but you know, like, I mean, we saw how he used Garrett Crochet and Michael Kopech even in the playoff season. It's like guys have assigned one inning roles and stuff. And it just, I'm, I'm curious to see like it not being like that anymore. Cause I think, you know, I, I have no reason to believe that Pedro Grafol is going to be like, yep, you're getting the sixth, you get the seventh, you get the eighth. It's like, those guys are out getters, man. You got to go in when you're needed. So I do think it's going to be like a welcome change. That's James Fox. He's a senior editor at Future Sox. My name is Mike Rankin. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Future Sox Podcast. Go to SoxMachine.com. Think about becoming a Patreon member. Uh, we really do appreciate the support. Patrons are, get exclusive content. You're a part of the community. There's so many discussions ongoing whenever we post a Sox Machine article or podcast in the comment section, and that's apparent as well for patrons uh, on the Patreon site. So think about that. This is going to be a big year for the Chicago White Sox, Future Sox, and Sox Machine, and we're going to be here for you all season long. So thanks so much for your support. Thanks to Blue Wire for getting this episode out to wherever you get your podcast. I implore you to check out the last two episodes that we had as a, as a starting point if you're just tuning in because Connor McKnight and Jim Callis are really good at what they do, and they gave, the, uh, they gave us their time, and they were very generous with their time and really awesome information as always. We talk to you every Tuesday right here on the Future Sox podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you all next week.